0: Welcome to all about HR. I'm your host Tom Horn and I'm on a journey to learn about all things HR. I'm documenting my conversations with thought leaders, HR professionals, and real employees about everything from recruiting, workplace of the future, benefits? You name it. We're all about HR. Let's go. Very excited for our first all about HR here in May. It's a beautiful spring day. I don't think I could be in a better mood. It's Friday. I'm recording with Paul. You might have seen a picture of us on Twitter. Super, super excited for this conversation. You know, I was telling, uh, I was telling Paul, and, and you'll see some of my guests, and this isn't any disrespect to my first 30 guests. They're all fantastic guests. I only have conversations with people that I want to have conversations with, that I'm excited to have conversations with. But there's definitely some people with the community that I held off reaching out to until I really felt like I had my feet under me with this podcast. And Paul Lalonde, our guest today, is certainly one of those. So I'm gonna jump right into uh, jump right into this conversation today. We got a lot to talk about. You may know Paul. Paul Lalonde is a deliberate hr professional who believes philosophy is a difference-making pursuit in life and business learning teaching and being part of service to others are his purpose currently paul serves as the vp of people and culture at CEDA of cook county in chicago he writes his award-winning blog the hr philosopher and also best-selling author of the book people fusion best practices to build and retain a strong team love that book paul is a proud husband father disobedient cat owner star wars nerd and metalhead Paul,
1: welcome to All About HR. Hey, Tom, appreciate you having me here, and uh, I don't really know how to follow up with that intro, so... Thank you.
0: I mean, there's a lot there. And and that's one of the things that I really liked about that stuck out about you is I really saw you as, wow, this guy really knows his stuff in HR. He really is committed to the space and committed to helping others in the space. But at the same time, he's also committed to talking with John Thurmond about wrestling, about Star Wars, just about being who he is. And those are the people that I'm always like, yes, he's a real human being and a real HR person. And you're one of those guys I don't have in a bucket of you know, one thing or the other. Which, right? That's where you want to be, right?
1: Yeah, I think so. And uh, I appreciate the uh, the wrestling talk too, because that's something I never thought would ever happen. Making connections with professional wrestling and HR. So
0: this might be the fifth time it's come up on my HR podcast. So I, I find that. Uh, I mean, it, as a kid, and I've said this before: Ultimate Warrior, Brutus Bar, Beefcake, Jake the Snake, Million Dollar Man, like. All those guys were my first heroes as a kid. Like, they just blew me away. I was like, who are these dudes? So who was your favorite back in the day? Oh, man. I mean,
1: it goes without question. It was Stone Cold, Steve Austin. I mean, uh, he was the one that really got me back into wrestling, let's say. I mean, when I was a little, little kid, uh, yeah, I liked all the same ones that you did as well. But Stone Cold was just different. Like, he was, he was yeah. the bad guy, but he wasn't really the bad guy. He was the everyday man. He was the dude flipping off his bar, drinking brewskis on the job, all those type of things you shouldn't probably be doing, but everyone wanted to do. So uh, I think uh, his his blue-collar ethic really spoke to a generation, and ever since then, we're doing the double bird, doing whatever.
0: <laughs> yeah, he, he, yeah, he was certainly iconic. So as a VP of HR, Stone Cold works in your company, <laughs> and he's brought into your office. What's that conversation look like, Paul? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Hopefully it goes my way, because uh, I'd probably be on the other end of a stunner and then a lawsuit. But uh, outside of that, uh, hopefully we can just reach common ground to where it's like, Steve, come on, man. It's not good to be flipping people off at work. Definitely don't be drinking on the job. If you got caught doing it, sorry, you gotta be gone, but hopefully you get some help.
0: After five o'clock. Go get 'em,
1: buddy. <laughs> yeah, that's insane. Anytime after five, that's your time, dude. You do you. But between uh between the hashtags, you know, you're uh, you gotta kinda be on our
0: be with us a little bit. I love it. Thank you for humoring me in that brief exercise. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate it. I actually met Stone Cold, uh, I lived in Venice Beach, California, and he lived right between me and my local kind of watering hole, and I was taking the back streets through, and sure enough, there was Stone Cold, and uh, I chatted with him for like 20 seconds, I was too intimidated to like try to stop him, but I also couldn't not engage him, and uh, he, he was super cool, super cool, but it was one of those like LA, like, oh my god, I'm in a back alley, and there's Stone Cold, it was a, it was a really cool moment.
1: Yeah, I would never expect to see him there, but I guess it makes sense. Venice Beach is sort of, you know, Hulk Hogan, Macho Man days. So I, I guess it has that wrestling mythos to it.
0: Yeah, it's that part of L.A. that there's actually canals in Venice, California, and there's really nice houses all back in there. He just had a big house there, and it's kind of the, I want to be near the beach, I want to be in L.A., but I don't want to be in all the Hollywood nonsense. So I thought it kind of made sense that that's where he lived. Let's jump into a little bit more of uh, the conversation. We start every one of these convos with, what are you listening to right now, Paul?
1: Metallica's new album just was released a couple weeks ago, 72 Seasons, so it's been on replay uh, ever since. So anybody that knows me knows just diehard Metallica fans since I was 12 years old. So when 72 Seasons was dropped, it's been on nonstop.
0: You know, growing up as a kid, I was scared of Metallica. I was more of like the Billy Joel guy. And I was so scared of him. <laughs> and then something happened. And I remember around eighth grade just being like, wow, these guys are really cool. But I shouldn't be talking about it. I should be I should be keeping that on the down low. But I love Metallica. And I love this new album. I, I really didn't expect much from it. It's good. I mean, it's good music. It's true to who they are. And it's just good. I always
1: preface by saying, you know, they could release like a literal just burping in tin can or something and I would love (laughs) it and buy it and and so I know my bias. Uh, That being said, I do believe that this is a very, very good album, especially for dudes that are pushing mid 60 and they're still thrashing and playing faster than most people uh, can even comprehend. So definitely tip my cap that they're still doing it 40 plus years later. So.
0: I've actually seen them twice, and I believe they were two pretty epic shows. I saw them at the LA Forum, and I didn't, it, like I said, I knew I knew Metallica. I was screaming every song the entire show. I didn't even realize I knew the words to sad but true, but sure enough, I didn't miss a beat. Like, I mean, they just sucked you in. It was such a good show.
1: No, uh, I don't think people realize how much, uh, how kind of saturated they are throughout American culture. So I'm, I'm pretty excited. In a few weeks, I'll be going to, to Germany and seeing Metallica in Germany, Whoa. so that's kind of a uh, Whoa. never thought I would do kind of a thing, but it, it was sort of uh, just random. Just talking with my father-in-law, it's like, hey, you want to do this? Yeah, let's go do it. I,
0: I applaud you. That sounds absolutely freaking fantastic. That's going to be awesome. Make sure you post some stuff in, uh, in our HR community uh, thread on Twitter. I want to see how that goes.
1: Oh for sure there's the um there's a group of us John Thurman is a part of it Steve Brown that's Metallica Mondays so Yeah I've seen it That'll be a epic monday the following day
0: So I I'll land the Metallica convo here as the other show I saw was Woodstock 99 and it was Rage Against the Machine, Limp Bizkit, Metallica. And the whole place was just going completely berserk. Like, they had to turn down Rage. Like, I was scared to death. I was like, I'm going to die in this crowd. And this huge storm was coming in right before Metallica headlines. And they were like, everyone, if you have tents, put your stakes in. Massive winds. And just the vibe of, like, I can't explain, like, what it felt like to be there. And Metallica came on the stage and everyone was all like, what's going on? And James Hetfield just goes so and what and spits this huge loogie on the stage and they just rip into that song and i remember that just being one of the absolute most powerful moments of any show i've ever been at ever and it was i mean they just absolutely destroyed it the wind picked up the storm blew away and it was it was incredible so i won't get more into woodstock 99 that was a complete dumpster fire but man that that experience was their control over the stage it like calmed people down but revved them up at the same time like it took away that negative element and just joined everyone it's really cool
1: wow that's both uh i think uh slightly jealous of you and slightly not because it was woodstock 99 but whatever metallica does uh for the most part their live never changes they are just phenomenal live in everything that they do i don't think they've ever had a bad show
0: but I don't think so. Let's talk about someone else that's phenomenal in everything they do. Let's get into a, let's get into a little bit more about you. Let's start with, you know, where you work and then we'll kind of get into your philosophies and what you do and what you bring to work and what you bring to, you know, the microphone here today. But tell us about CEDA, am I pronouncing it? Is it C-E-D-A? Tell me a little bit about where you're working and what you're doing right now.
1: Yeah, it's CEDA, the uh, Community Economic Development Association in Cook County. We are what's called the Community Action Agency, and there are community action agencies in 99% of counties in the U.S., and they were born from uh, Lyndon Johnson's War on Poverty. So when in the 1960s, there was all these radical changes going on, and and through the War on Poverty, Community Action was born. So we oversee parts of Chicago services and mostly Cook County, which is uh, the suburban Mm -hmm. Collar County area. So we provide services such as uh, LIHEAP, which is low-income housing energy assistance programming, helping people keep their lights on. Uh, we provide WIC, Women, Infant, and Children Services. So that's helping new mothers figure out uh, how, to, how to do this thing called motherhood and breastfeed and provide uh, nutrition services to, to them in, in the needy. So our entire mission is about combating poverty and trying to, to, to make people's lives a little bit better each day.
0: Wow that is that's fantastic that's, that's doing the right work right there. My role, I'm, I'm the VP of people and culture
1: there, so I, I oversee uh, obviously the, the traditional HR functions and I try and challenge people to, to move forward in you know the new people operation uh, philosophy of how you do HR.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. I feel like that space and some of the nonprofit space and some of the government space isn't as quick to adopt some of the philosophies and and some of the approach that we see in HR today. So that's great that you're able to be in that space, but also be pushing it forward as well. Yeah. My,
1: uh, my entire career has been in not-for-profit, not planned. It just happened, right. but I think I found my space. I always say that, uh, you know, not-for-profit work has that mission built into it, you know, and it's nothing against Coke or any of that, but that's just my example. But making money for Coke is not mission driven in my mind. It's, it's valuable. People right. want, want Coke. It, it, it's fine. It's great. There's nothing wrong with Coke, but that's just not my space. So uh, I think the not-for-profit space is really where I found my niche and where I really am enjoying giving back to the community. And you're right. Uh, not-for-profits have a history of not having those resources. They don't have the education necessarily. Or that experience in knowing just traditional HR functions, let alone these cutting edge and newer type of things that I'm trying to, to bring to the space and, and really try and challenge uh, executive directors, uh, if there are HR leaders in the not-for-profit space, to think differently and really know that not for profit is a tax status, it's
0: not a business model. I love that distinction. I've been talking to, for whatever reason, a lot more nonprofits in my space. And one of the things that's really interesting that stood out from all these different conversations is the people that work in not-for-profits have that approach that you described. We care about what we're doing. We care about the outcomes we create. We really care about, there's a lot of passion driven. But with that, a lot of the HR folks talk about there's an extra burden because anything business-wise, operationally, Pushes that's negative or not 100% positive can kind of chip away at some of that passion. And they, they talk to me a lot of times about feeling this extra burden of we have to streamline our business. We have to make sure all these other noises go away because we don't want to. That's where our turnover comes from is when the passion doesn't connect with how we're running our business do you see or have you seen any of that do you carry any of that that weight of these people are here for a passion i got to make sure everything works good so that they can focus on the passion
1: there's definitely in the not-for-profit space uh, something called compassion fatigue and and it depends on where you're at you know if if you're running a local museum not-for-profit they're it's not the same as, uh, you know, social service not-for-profits, which is where I spent most of mine. So you see people at their lowest needing help in a system and and institutions that were probably not really designed to give them that help, right, in in a lot of ways. So no matter how much you help that person, there's always another person. There's always another person. There's always another. So that compassion fatigue really starts setting in. So I would argue Maybe a little bit less of maybe helping people keep their passion and more helping them keep their balance because passion burns out and that's not where you want your people to be.
0: Right. No, that's a, I think that's a great distinction. See, you're good at, I knew you were good at what you did here. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you. But, I mean, I, and I think a lot of this, you know, that HR philosopher blog and that approach you have from kind of a philosopher philosophy mindset, I think that really pairs perfectly with where you're at. Talk, like, talk to me about like where that came from, like where that philosopher mindset that you bring to your work started. where did that come from?
1: Well, uh, probably over a decade ago, I don't uh, remember exactly when or where, but uh, well, I remember where I was at Barnes and Nobles, just kind of wandering around because that's one of my favorite things to do. And uh, I wasn't looking for anything in particular, but I caught uh, a book caught the corner of my eye in the bargain bin, and it was uh, a book that ended up being uh, a new translation of Epictetus, who was a an ancient Stoic philosopher from, from ancient Rome, and he was a he was a slave turned free man turned Stoic philosopher who ended up influencing greatly uh, Marcus Aurelius, who was king of uh, well, uh, Emperor of Rome. So I picked up the book, just randomly, didn't know anything about it, and started reading it, and it was hitting home. Things were starting to, I think, gel and make sense for me, and particularly a line where Epictetus believed philosophy is not something that people do in ivory towers or behind closed doors. Philosophy to him was doing the right thing every moment of your life as as best you can, and becoming a better person. So philosophy to him was becoming a better person, and you live your philosophy. So over time, I started... You know, making even more connections and started to see well, this can work in work, you know, and and that's really how I I, I try to uh, influence and bring that f- philosophical mindset into the HR world.
0: Wow, that's uh, that's good. it started with a bargain bin book, like that's that is fantastic. So tell me, l- let's dig into that a little bit. Like, tell me how you brought that focus. So you told me where the focus came from, but how did you? start integrating that. Like do you have a system that you work off of that you've been able to build into work? How like walk us through some of the some of the ways you you integrate that to your to your job and your approach.
1: Well, I I think it starts uh, for me, at least it starts with me with the foundation. And to me you, again, it might sound cliché, but if you don't have a good foundation, whether you're building a house, whether you're building a business, whether you're you're trying to be a good person, it's all gonna fall apart. So to me, the philosophy that, that I try and use is my foundation. So uh, I've been heavily influenced by Ryan Holiday and his work in the same space too. And, and for those uh, maybe familiar, maybe not, but Ryan Holiday wrote uh, The Obstacles The Way, which was an incredibly influential book uh, to me personally, and a lot of others, because it sold millions of copies around the world. But in the book, The basis that really kind of changed my life and started making me see philosophy in these different ways is is in the title, you know, The Obstacle is the Way. I used to be, how do you get around these things? How do I ignore them? How do I just go through and and hope it goes away? To where it was like, no, he's saying. And the line comes from Marcus Aurelius's meditations where he wrote to himself. And it's also a a Zen Buddhist uh, proverb where it's like, the, the obstacle becomes the path sort of thing. So it's this weird connection between Stoicism and Zen Buddhism, but I'm going off course. But with it, it's this obstacle. The only way through, or, or the only way to get better is through that obstacle. So if you suck at a certain thing, you focus on that, on not sucking at it as much. Yeah. If, if you have a fear of confrontation, have more confrontations in a respectful, uh, compassionate, constructive way, right? And then that's your path. So whenever you're, you're not sure where you should be going or what you should be doing, look to where you're avoiding and that's where you need to go.
0: I love that. And that's something that's, that's really helped me and I'm better at understanding that, but I'm still not where I want to be with taking action. You know, I think there's that split of realizing and then taking action. Do you have some tips? Uh, Do you have some ways that you help approach helping people take that action and kind of get through that obstacle? Right. Yeah.
1: No, I think uh, you're hitting the nail on the head on a lot of these things. And this isn't something that just happened with me even over time. Uh, And Epictetus talks about this. They'll talk about it. Uh, You have to practice, you know, you have to live your philosophy, even if it's just one little thing that you did that day. Um, It's like building a muscle when you go to the gym and you're lifting weights or you're running or whatever. You're going to suck right away, you know, but over time, you're breaking yourself down to build yourself back up. That same thing has to happen with the mind. So I think it's just reading and trying to live these things and being mindful of them. Uh, one thing that has been incredibly helpful for me and a lot of other people is just uh, is writing in general. So at the beginning of your day, maybe make a note. As soon as you wake up, don't touch the phone. Don't look at anything else. Just go immediately to your journal, read something, and then meditate on it and just write a couple things about it. At the end of the day, visit it and say, did I do these things? Where did I fail? Where did I go wrong? What did I do well? And then over time, you know, the journey of a thousand miles begins with that single step. You'll look back and all of a sudden you'll be at a thousand miles and it'll become more second nature to you to put it into action.
0: I'm totally digging this, and it, it brings me back to you know I've got a almost nine year old son, and we talk about you know sports, and he's like, well I can't do this, or I'm I'm good or bad at this, and kind of teaching and coaching him through. One of the things that I've really I've always known, but is really front of mind, is that learning something isn't your brain telling you that you know it or don't know it; it's your brain just doing it, and Learning something isn't about a consciousness, it's about that muscle memory, that repetition until your brain can do it on its own. And then you realize you know it. It's not the other way around. And everyone thinks, I'm gonna practice this and now I know it or don't know it. But it's really, you have to apply these things and it's, it's a subconscious learning more than it is a conscious learning, I feel like. Is that, is that aligned?
1: Oh, 100%. I, in, it's, uh, it, again, it goes back to you're not gonna learn things until you do them. And that's a core teaching, at least in in Stoicism. And and I get hung up on Stoicism because it's the one thing, uh, one of the philosophies I really hang my hat on, but it can be with anything. If somebody likes uh, some African philosophies or uh, other philosophies from the Far East, you know, all of it can be implemented into our lives. You just have to figure out where and when. But the only way you can do that is through that constant repetition, that constant studying, that constant reading. And then it will become second nature. Um, just as an example, uh, again, with, with the, uh, the obstacle is the way. And I'll just use that because it's top of mind. But, you know, when I first heard that phrase, I loved it, but I was still avoiding things. Well, now, years and years later, I start noticing, wait a minute, I avoided that. Whereas before it wasn't so readily. So it pops into my head, right? More often now that's like, oh, why am I avoiding this? Go back to it. Don't, don't push it off. Because now it's become more second nature to me, and that took years. And I think that's one of the the powerful things about philosophy is, it can help you, down the line, in in ways that you never thought possible, and make you much more stronger and confident. But in our instant gratification world, and you know the instant likes, TikTok, thirty second sound bites, all these things, yeah, uh, philosophy needs to be kind of ingrained in a different way than most people have been brought up which is hard and challenging but nothing worth doing is easy right
0: yeah 100 percent. this is one of those funny conversations where i have it and i'm going how am i not hearing everyone talk about this all the time because it seems so powerful it's so obvious and just so i mean this can be applied to anything and it can go really really deep and it just i don't know this makes a lot of sense and i feel like it's something everyone should be talking about more and i know you believe that because you that's what you're doing. Thank you for doing what you're doing. This is, this is great.
1: Thank you for uh, taking the interest. And in, again, uh, hopefully it comes across. These are the type of things that really get me going. i love uh, just passionate about these kinds of
0: conversations. So I am going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, I want to get into... A little bit more specific connecting this to, you know, the workplace, uh, helping people at work. You know, how can you leverage philosophy to help different business areas and in in, in different business skills? So we're going to take a quick break and we we get back, we're going to go another level deeper with Paul. All right. It is the HR hot sauce. Paul, are you ready? Let's do it. What is the best job you have ever had?
1: Adjunct professor at a community college.
0: Ooh, that sounds fun. What's the one phrase at work that drives you nuts?
1: I know it's cliche and everyone says it, but that's the way we've always done it.
0: That's my favorite answer, honestly, because it's my least favorite thing to hear. Do you like working on rainy or sunny days?
1: Probably indifferent, but uh, I'd have to say sunny because then I don't have to walk to work in the rain.
0: Love that. And it's the people that love their job that always say indifferent too. How can someone make your day at work?
1: when they come up to me and tell me you know i didn't think of it like that or thank you for uh, making me think differently your
0: best useless skill
1: i think knowing random knowledge about things i don't really know anything about (laughs) i mean that might sound like what but uh there's a story behind it i'll get to it later
0: mild medium hot or nuclear
1: you know i'm a medium kind of guy you know i like a little bit but i don't like the the fire overburning the flavor
0: favorite interview question to ask or be asked
1: you know anything about favorite music movies tv
0: shows those things yeah we've been on point with this show song to bring you out of a funk a blackened by metallica awesome song you are done with hr hot sauce let's get back to the show all right excellent HR hot sauce Paul we had been talking about bringing that philosophical that philosophy mindset into work and we are now going to dig into well what's that mean what's that look like where can I use that how does that look so Paul tell, tell us where it starts like is it just about one-on-ones is this a well-being kind of, like, like how do you bring this to work what are what are some of the areas and spaces and ways you use this I'm, I'm really big on uh, on
1: you know, quotes and trying to remember certain things only because they center me. You know, I, I use them as sort of mantras. And there's one particular mantra that I think fits perfect with uh, human resources. And Marcus Aurelius, who was, uh, he, he wrote Meditations, which was his own private journal. And after he died, someone found it and it got published. Um, he'd probably be horrified that it was, but now we have his wisdom forever. In it, he talks, he woke up once, I guess, and he's writing to himself, Before you go to work, I guess, equivalent today, remember, you're going to run into people who are naysayers. You're going to run into people who are trying to cheat you. You're going to run into people who think they know better. He's just going through this list of all these ingrates. But then he finishes off by saying, remember, they're still human beings and you're here to work with them and serve them as best you can. Wow. And I think that's just a great mantra to try and remember in in our lines of work, especially, that uh, sometimes we get people... Uh, at their worst. And we just have to keep that in perspective and know we're still here to do our job for them. So I think that's kind of where a lot of it starts. It's duty. It's being who you can be for your fellow human being. And just don't, don't
0: uh, lower yourself to the base. I feel like I need to go find that quote and like, just put it on my computer screen. Not that I have trouble with that, but like, that's an area I feel like everybody could focus on. That's a quote anybody could look at any day and go, yes, recenter, keep that top of mind.
1: Yeah, that one's really helped me a lot too. And uh, so it's just kind of combing through. Uh, And again, these things, philosophy is meant to be put into action, right? So when I'm reading, I'm not trying to find the deep questions in life of, is this a computer simulation? Or are we in the matrix? Or how many uh, (laughs) angels can fit on the head of a pin? I'm trying to figure out how can I live a better life so that I can be more happy and fulfilled. And these type of things help remind me that life has happened the exact same way since the beginning of time. People are born. People are going to die. In between that time, that's up to you to try and figure out how you control what you can control to, to get the most out of life. So, And it's interesting, too, because if the most powerful man in the world at the time is thinking the same things that I'm thinking, who is a, a, a speck of dust floating on another speck of dust in this giant universe, then I can use that. I think that's fantastic.
0: This is obviously, or hopefully obviously, this is great leadership. This is a great leadership connection. When you're talking to leaders, directors, line level managers in your organization, how do you talk to them about this? How do you talk about maybe coach so that they can incorporate some of this into their into their styles? Because it just seems like a natural way to connect this.
1: Yeah, when I am coaching or talking or trying to, to give guidance to folks, I don't quote the philosophers. I don't come out and say, well, this philosophy says this or that. Or I try and, I think, just ask the right questions, kind of nudge them and push them in a way, and hopefully they can figure it out on their own. And I think that in and of itself is philosophical. So I think of like the Socratic method so uh for those unfamiliar with socratic method uh, think of the show house if you've ever watched house um just don't do it in that kind of a mean-spirited way that house does it but he asks his doctors (laughs) how are are we going to solve this this illness that no one else can solve and they just keep peppering each other with tons of questions it can get aggressive but uh kind of confrontational but they always figure it out most of the time in the end so i try and take the socratic method just by asking the right questions uh, pushing back in a, in a, in a professional, uh, compassionate sort of way to get them to think differently or to understand and say, well, you know, if you go on that path, these are the type of things that can happen. Uh, I don't think you should necessarily go that path unless you're ready to, to expect X, Y, Z to happen. You know, another thing, too, is this idea of premeditado malorum which is Latin for thinking about all the things that could go wrong. Uh, Lori Rudeman talks something very similar in her book, Betting on, on You. Yeah, read that. Yeah, that's a philosophical approach. It's looking ahead to see all the things that could go wrong so that when you implement your project, you're already ahead of the game and you have a better shot of making things go right.
0: Yeah, we talked about some of that with uh, Tom Daniels with uh, Project and, and Change Management. Yeah, I love it. And I love Lori. Um, I saw the blog post is back up. You shared that, that she, she's back at it. So I want to give her a little plug. I think we're all fans uh, fans on the, uh, on the podcast here. So great connection there.
1: For sure. So hopefully, you know, really my sense is to take, again, how is this implementable in life? If, that, if that's a word, how's that actionable in life? And these type of things that have been talked about for thousands of years are just as relevant today in a business setting and in a personal life setting. So that's where I try and talk to about with folks at work and, and try and nudge them in those directions and, and try and influence them that way.
0: So when you're nudging them, you're talking to them, you're push. like, sounds like communication, like you're very strong with communicating this. What are, the, what are some of the ways that our listeners can be aware of their communication and how maybe this can help their communication to others uh, in work and in life?
1: One of uh, one of my favorite concepts is from uh,
0: it's from Buddhism.
1: It's not you know Buddhism's a qu- a quasi philosophy. It's a religion, but uh, but it's a little bit different than a traditional religion, right? One of their eight tenets uh, that's called the the Noble Path. One of them is right communication, and the idea behind right communication is: Are you vetting what you are are trying to communicate, and not just verbally, uh, but also you know, uh, non-verbally, those type of things. And by right, is it compassionate? Is it, is it kind? Are you giving news in, in a way that the other person can receive it? And it's sort of the antithesis to this, well, I'm just speaking my truth and I'm just doing all these things, which is fine and that's great. We want people to speak their truths, but you can do it in a way that doesn't turn you off to everybody else. Speak your truth in the right communication way through buddhism uh, and you can be much more effective much more influential and you get what you need at the end of the day so now and that doesn't mean you know people don't can't be angry or frustrated all those things all those are natural human tendencies and should be followed up with but uh, controlled rather than them controlling you so those are a lot of the things i try and work with with people of all right. If you're frustrated, get to the idea of why you're frustrated and how can you communicate that with this person in a way that they can receive it. But then also is not detrimental to you as well. So, cause it goes both ways. If, if you're trying to be right with someone else, you should be right with yourself too. Yeah. So watch how you call yourself. If you've gained a few pounds, don't call yourself fat. Don't call yourself chubby or those things, you know, that, that does detrimental to you as well.
0: Yes. Yeah. It's, Somebody I had a leader tell me once, he said would he asked me, he said, Would you rather be good? Would you rather be right? And I was like, uh, I don't I don't even remember at this point what my answer was. But the follow up was you should focus on being good because when you're good, you're always in the right place. And I think that's I think that was just a a lesson that I learned that I didn't realize was a philosophical way to kind of take this. But that that has always stuck with me since, and I try to approach. And again, I'm not perfect. I do it wrong. But that always comes back even after that "Ah, I was trying to be right or I was trying to prove a point or I was trying to move something forward rather than have an exchange, which was more good and would get us to a right place quicker.
1: Yeah, You know, uh, Marcus Aurelius talks in – well, wrote down in his meditations, something to that effect. So you were wrong. It doesn't matter. Time to move on. You know, don't dwell on it. And I think that's sort of uh, where we're at in a lot of ways. It, just as human beings, if we're wrong, we, oh, where'd I go wrong? You kind of dwell on it. So sort of like, well, no, everybody's wrong. That's fine. Uh, as long as it wasn't detrimental to another person's life or something like that, you know, or, or and even if it is, admit it, accept it and, and move forward because that's the only place time is going. And I sort of have to backtrack just slightly, you know, talking openly about philosophy when I'm at work or stuff. One of the few things I do do is uh, I, I talk about uh, biases and, and logical fallacies. So especially logical fallacies come from the philosophical school. And I say that and I always put up this chart of all these philosophical uh, fallacies like the straw man, for example, or uh, confirmation bias and all these type of things. And, and I do that on purpose because for us to be better communicators, to us to work better together, we have to communicate better. And we have to know, oh, wait, if I'm communicating in this way, well, this is a fallacy. It, this is a, a, a chink in my armor of how I'm trying to get across. So if you can tackle that, then you know that you can form a better argument in the long run or maybe your argument wasn't as good to begin with and you need to rethink your thought processes at the end of the day or it's also if somebody's just coming at you coming at you and you can start picking apart their armor you know again in, in a compassionate confrontational way not in a detrimental way of well this is you know, and you don't call it out by saying, "Well, you have this fallacy." It's like, no, that's not the point. You're recognizing where <laughs> right. they're falling short to try and strengthen it and get get to the better product at the end of the day.
0: I love this. This is this has been fantastic. If we can, I mean, if we could somehow push what I would imagine being your blog to every person on Facebook in the world, I think the world might be a better place. Cause these things you're talking about, not that it's like good, bad or ugly, but like these things you're talking about, I think are root, root lessons that can help everybody. I don't care if you're left, right, crazy aunt, happy uncle, like, like whatever it is, I feel like these are kind of lessons that can help just everyone come together. And I think that's what's important at work. I, you know, how do we come together and achieve our goals as a company, as a department, as a team, as individuals? How can we come together as a society? How can we come together and stop focus on being right or wrong, but coming together and moving forward to these positive outcomes while we're here? And you got my you got my brain spinning about how this works everywhere. i mean i'm I'm on. I'm on board, man.
1: I think you're being way too kind, but I appreciate the uh, the sentiment. I'm just, uh, I'm just reading and rereading ancient wisdom uh, and trying to apply it in the modern context. I mean, I think people take, make things far more complicated than I agree. they are. Uh, a lot of the paths have already been written for us. We just have to kind of follow it.
0: I mean, it's my same approach with this podcast. Like, you taking these age-old great approaches, thoughts, philosophies, and amplifying them. And that's the whole goal of this podcast is to amplify things that make sense, things that can help other people, things that can make me better. I'm an amplifier. That's my job. I'm not an influencer. I'm an amplifier. And I feel like that's exactly what you are in this space. And yeah, you didn't you didn't write Marcus Aurelius' notes, but you're amplifying them and getting those to people that hear them. And I think that's as important a step as any other part of the process. I agree
1: with that. And I, I really appreciate how you describe that. I think that's perfect for what I'm trying to do.
0: I'm hearing you. So add one to the scoreboard. You know, I, I think uh, I want to kind of tie this conversation as we're getting deep to, you're very active in a lot of organizations and, you know, you've got your blog and you've been part of the book. By the way, I love that book. I, I love, it's a lot of people I respect that, that helped write that write that piece. You do a lot. How else do you amplify? If, if someone's listening and they're not involved in ev- anything or a lot of things outside of just, I'm in HR or I'm in leadership and I go to work and I care about these things, how can they find people that are amplifying these voices and messages? How can they get more ingrained in their communities? Tell me about what you're doing and maybe some places people can look.
1: And uh, I think the number one thing to start with and bringing it back to Lori Rudiman, her blog post that I just reposted this morning, talks about her, her court, so to speak. So um, you keep the people around you that inspire you and you can lean on and, Uh, look to as mentors so she talked about she has her inner circle and then her circle expands from there and she lists uh, people that you know she she may not be like super close friends with but people that she follows uh, that help keep her influenced uh, and 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 i think uh, energized so start there connect with whoever you can that's that's putting out content that you like uh, that's influencing you connect with them on linkedin Just shoot them a a little message just saying, hey, I'd like to connect. I I like what you're doing. I just want to follow and learn and leave it at that. Grow from there. That's in our digital space. If you want real life space, you know, uh, look to local HR chapters that are in your area. Those are people going through the same things that you are that, again, you can lean on and and they can lean on you because that's what networking is. It's a two-way street. Yep. Uh, And then it starts building out from there. Look up uh, HR Unite. They're a phenomenal group out of Michigan, uh, and they're expanding. Uh, I help run one of their coffee talks in the Illinois uh, chapter of it. So Tina Marie Wolfield with HR Unite is great. Uh, Disrupt HR. If you have a local Disrupt HR, uh, I highly encourage you to connect with those folks. Uh, and then finally, yeah, like HR Mavericks. So these are just a whole bunch of different, I think, groups that are challenging the space. Challenging the status yeah. quo, uh, which is right up my alley, and why I probably get along with many of them. But hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, hundred percent. Just find your people and, and stick with them.
0: Yeah, and uh, you know, feel free to reach out to me. Reach out to Paul. We're going to give his contact. And if you have questions, the Twitter community hashtag HR community and Twitter literally connects me to anything any questions I have that's a that's a great digital resource but I just saw disrupt HR Denver had a great meetup two days ago and I it was not on my radar and I'm dying that I was not able to be there and connect so I've made a, I've got a sticky note in front of me that disrupt HR Denver connect with absolutely be a part of so I was glad to hear you mention uh, the disrupt group.
1: Yeah, they, uh, they're they phenomenal in in so many different ways, as are all of the, the ones I talked about. But uh, I actually gave a talk at, at Disrupt HR in St. Louis. And uh, just a quick funny story is uh, I didn't know at the time when I submitted to speak that it was a five-minute, quick kind of in-and-out speak. So I had this big old hour presentation <laughs> I was ready to go. They selected me. I was like, yeah, this is going to be great. And then I started reading more about it. I'm like, wait, what? i have to distill this hour into five minutes and i was (laughs) that's a tall order like oh it it took me like weeks and nervous and staying up till two just because i was like uh so anxious about it but i ended up really i think killing it and it was again that was an obstacle right Right. i I felt like maybe i should back down i don't want to do this uh this is too much i was like no the, the obstacle is the path. I have to do it. And then I ended
0: up being one of the best talks I ever gave and it was five minutes. Wow, that's awesome. Congratulations. Uh, great story. Uh, Paul, this this has been awesome. I really appreciate you taking the time to to meet with me. And I, I'm going to put it out there that if you're listening to this, don't wait for me to come and ask you to be on the show. If you want to jump in and have a conversation, reach out to me. It's There is a list of 200 people that you're probably on it if you're listening to this and you haven't been on the show that I want to have on the show. I I just, I can only reach out to so many people at so much time, but if you're hearing this and you want to amplify your message, you want to talk wrestling Metallica, I want to talk about, uh, you know, what you did at Disrupt HR, reach out to me. That's what this community is all about. That's what this is about. I want to amplify your stories and I want to learn from you. And I'm not going to lie. I learned as much today in this 45 minutes as I've, as I've learned in I think this is going to be really sticky for me. So Paul, uh, thank you for what you do. Thank you for amplifying the messages you do and uh, just, just being an awesome guy. We're going we're gonna to share links to most of what you talked about. But tell us, where can people find you, Paul?
1: Incredibly active on LinkedIn. So just Paul alone. Uh, Google me on LinkedIn. And then uh, I'm still on Twitter while Twitter's still around uh, at right. hrpaul49. So.
0: We'll put those links in. Paul, uh, it's Friday. We're recording. Have a great time if I don't talk to you when you go to Germany for the Metallica show and have yourself a fantastic weekend. Uh, I know you've got me energized to close this week out. Achtung, mein
1: Freund. We got this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, we do. Everybody, thank you for joining us on All About HR. Share the podcast. You can find us anywhere. Share it on LinkedIn. You know, we don't have a marketing budget. This is all about just word of mouth and people sharing and talking and amplifying. So thank you for being here and have a wonderful day. Keep learning all about HR. Understand, engage, inspire, and retain your people like never before. People Element's employee experience and engagement solution delivers powerful intelligence, giving you the confidence to act. To learn how you can gain a better understanding of your employees, please
1: visit us at peopleelement.com.